Welcome to the Saving Lives Podcast. I'm Eddie Joe. Today is the 26th of August of 2020. Believe it or not, I'm going to be talking about an article that was published in 2010. So it's about a decade old. And today's podcast has to do with hypophosphatemia in the critically ill. I covered this topic back when my Instagram account was in its infancy, around April of 2019, which honestly seems like an eternity ago. And I know it's not very zentensivist of me, taking the Matt Chuba definition of it, of, you know, being a zentensivist, but this is something I actively chase in my patients. And what I'm talking about, obviously, is phosphorus. I don't know how things work at your institution, but I have not worked at a single institution where phosphorus is on the BMP, the basic metabolic panel, or the CMP, the complete metabolic panel. In every institution that I've ever worked at, it's either in the renal panel or it's a standalone electrolyte that you order in the labs. I also have to give the disclaimer that this is not medical advice. I'm not telling you how to take care of your patients. I'm providing some insight as to how I take care of my patients when I'm looking at phosphorus levels and treating patients with hypophosphatemia. There is a citation for this in the show notes. I recommend you read that for yourself and that you do not trust me. The first question that you should ask yourself when you clicked on this podcast was, well, why do we even care about phosphorus levels? And the reason why we care is because some studies have shown that hypophosphatemia has been associated with higher mortality. Although, honestly, there is no randomized controlled trial that shows that correcting hypophosphatemia improves the outcomes of patients who are critically ill. But it's going to be pretty hard to find a randomized control trial or create a randomized control trial where the main variable that's being looked at is hypophosphatemia. It's again, it's going to be it's going to be challenging. The article that I'm using as a citation for this is titled Treatment of Hypophosphatemia in the Intensive Care Unit, a review. And again, it was published in 2020, excuse me, 2010 in the journal called Critical Care. It's a free access journal, so you don't have to put in a password or, you know, pay these people 30 bucks for the article, which is always ridiculous in my opinion. But getting started, phosphate has a bunch of different functions in the patient. It's important for bone structure, structural cell membranes. You know, it has to do with ATP, obviously adenosine triphosphate, as well as creatinine phosphate, which is for energy storage and metabolism. You know, it's also an acid-base buffer. Several, several different things that are, that are pretty important. Then when patients get sick in the ICU, there are several key components that cause hypophosphatemia. And those have to do with decreased int- intestinal absorption, that the patient doesn't redistribute it internally properly. And there's also a problem with increased renal excretion. Those are your three main categories. But let's put this into perspective of our ICU patients. A lot of these patients, when they come in, are malnourished. They're not eating. That decreases the intestinal absorption of this. Some of them, like the renal patients, are on phosphate binding agents, but, you know, that's not really a a problem in the ICU. There are also patients who are are vomiting, as well as patients who have NG tube suctioning going on, which decreases intestinal absorption. But then there's a problem with internal redistribution of, of phosphate. That has to do with patients who, for example, have a respiratory alkalosis, patients who are recovering from DKA, patients who are receiving insulin therapy, catecholamines. These different things alter the distribution of phosphate internally. And lastly, you have to consider the increased renal excretion. So who do we take care of in the ICU who has increased renal excretion? 
Well, think about everybody who gets diuretics. That's a lot of people. Also, having a metabolic acidosis affects this, as do corticosteroids, volume expansion, and, you know, it's, it's just different things that cause an alteration of phosphate metabolism and causes hypophosphatemia. Many of our patients have one or perhaps even more reasons why they're hypophosphatemic as listed above. I mean, we have patients on catecholamines who at the same time we're trying to, trying to diarrhea them. Or, you know, they're on catecholamines for septic shock and then on top of that we're giving them corticosteroids. So it's definitely multifactorial. You can't just go ahead and, you know, point the finger at one thing. But a lot of you might wonder, well, what are the symptoms of having hypophosphatemia? Because that's going to be the reason why we're going to go ahead and try to treat it. And it has to do with several different organ systems, the respiratory system, cardiovascular, even hematologic, endocrine, as well as neuromuscular. And I'm going to start off with the respiratory system first, okay? Because this is what's actually pretty important to me. And I do not, in my practice, I do not extubate patients unless their hypophosphatemia has been corrected. Or at least until they're getting their you know, sodium FOS or their KFOS IV running at the time that I'm going to extubate them. And the reason why is because, again, remember that phosphorus is important for the production of ATP. It's in the name. And so a patient could go ahead and develop respiratory muscle dysfunction of this, which could therefore lead to a failure to wean from mechanical ventilation. I mean, that's you don't want to have to go ahead and reintubate the patient after you extubated them just because they tired out because you know they, they were hypophosphatemic that's that's not going to work out well from a cardiovascular perspective you know you could see arrhythmias because of this which include vtac svts or even premature beats so in my patients who i'm trying to who has some sort of arrhythmia i always make sure i check their k their mag their fos make sure all their electrolytes are as euboxic as possible um you know, turn the red numbers on your EMR into normal numbers that are not red. Then again, having to do with the fact that phosphorus is important for ATP, it's also important for your myocardial contractility. So that's another reason to keep your phosphorus level well. Also from an endocrine perspective, um, there's a component of insulin resistance that has to do with it. From a hematologic standpoint, there's also a component of hemolysis. I honestly can't say that I've seen this in my practice, but nonetheless, it's something that's, that's reported in the data. And neuromuscular, there are some things that could be seen from hypophosphatemia, which include polyneuropathy, uh, patients with encephalopathy or altered mental status, and seizures. There are other more esoteric things that are listed here, such as uh, CPM, that I have not seen in my practice, but it's worth considering. Now the question is, okay, we're going to be chasing this phosphorus level on these patients, replacing it when it gets low, yada, yada, yada. But does it actually change mortality or is it a marker for severity of illness? That's, that's something that we honestly don't know. We don't know whether the correction of hypophosphatemia reduces mortality. We just don't know. But if it helps out patients, then I think it's something we should, we should definitely chase. The authors of this article cited multiple studies that showed an association between hypophosphatemia and increased mortality. Again, this is an association. It's not a causation. And it was shown that severe hypophosphatemia has been reported to predict an increased mortality in septic patients. This increased mortality, though, has not been seen in patients who have DKA, or it hasn't been seen in patients who are status post-cardiac surgery. Now, the next very logical question that you all may ask me is, hey, Eddie, okay, so I want to go ahead and check daily labs or check for phosphorus levels every now and then. 
How should I do it? How should I dose this? And to be honest with you, I do not want to get into that right now because that's something that could, you know, be pointed at me like, hey, that's a medical recommendation. You you said this many, this many minimals per liter or whatnot. And I, I just don't want to get, I don't want to go down that route for the sake of liability. I mean, put yourself in my shoes. I'm just trying to teach you guys the best I can. Unfortunately, there are always people who are trying to poke holes in dosages or whatnot and trying to hold people responsible even legally and again i'm trying to not do those things hence why i always tell people not to trust me but nonetheless to put everything to a conclusion i'd like to know do you all check phosphorus levels in your practice is this something that's routinely checked i mean i personally check it may i be over checking it potentially that's that's something that i accept but i know that my patients who need reintubation after extubation are extremely low that's and then there are people who will say, oh, yeah, Eddie, that's because you don't extubate people early enough. Whatever. There are always people who have commentary from the peanut gallery. All in all, I check phosphorus levels pretty routinely on my patients, almost every day on ventilated patients who I'm considering extubating. And um, it's a practice that has served me well, served my patients well. Let me know what you think of how this should be done in your practice. If you do it in your practice, if you don't do it in your practice, if you learn something new, show your support, leave a thumbs up or five stars on podcast rating, whatever you'd like to do to help me out. Appreciate it very much. Hope you guys have a great day. Bye.